Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Good morning. It's Labor Day weekend. Yesterday was a good day for some of us. And tomorrow, a lot of us might have the day off. I don't know. So keep in step. Let's wake up. Next Sunday, we will be starting a new series on the Sermon on the Mount, and, uh, which I think is, is I don't know, I, I just wonder what Jesus will have to say when we tell him that we took one of his sermons and turned it into a whole series of sermons. Uh, but we're going to start that next Sunday. And uh, given that it's a holiday weekend, we thought it'd be good just to dive into a, a, an independent text this week. And so today, I've chosen uh, Ephesians five fifteen through 21. That'll be where we spend most of our time this morning. But I do want to give you just some background about Ephesians so that you, you kind of know what we're jumping into. There's really not much worse when it comes to reading the Bible than just taking a text at face value without reading it in the context of everything else around it uh, as much as you can. So uh, let's, let's jump into Ephesians 5.15. I'm not sure what page—oh, look, the page numbers are on the screen. Awesome. Um, you can find those page numbers in the Bibles in the seats in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible, by the way, the, these Bibles are free for the taking if you promise to read it, right? Take it home and read it. Use it, especially if you don't have one. If you do have one, don't, don't just try to upgrade to a new Bible, all right? Let's, let's be honest here. All right, so we're going to be in Ephesians. Let me give you some background to help you adjust to where we are. Ephesians is a letter. It's written by the Apostle Paul to a church in a city known as Ephesus, okay? So he's writing to a particular local group of believers who could take that letter and know that it was intended for them because they were organized in some way. All right, so he writes a letter to this church in Ephesus, and the main idea of his letter is that God has saved a people for himself, and he's united them together. People from all over, Jew, Gentile, different social status, he's, he's united a particular people together in his church for his glory and for a certain witness to the world that's watching his church, his people, to see what they'll do, okay? So that, that's what's going on. If, if I can summarize it, Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 is really helpful. It says, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever Amen. Okay, that's right at the middle of Ephesians. That's the heart of the letter. And, and what Paul is getting at is that the church has a particular role in this world, and, and we're witnesses to God's redemptive power in the world. All right? So, within that context, Paul then, he, he develops this idea. And one of his favorite themes in the letter of Ephesians is walking. Like, not necessarily how you move or exercise, but, but walking in terms of how you live. And, and he highlights this again and again in Ephesians 4.1. He says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. In Ephesians 5.2, he says to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Ephesians 5.8, he says, at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And then, and then in Ephesians 5.15, which is our text today, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise. At the heart of this discussion of how to walk, how to live in this world, what, what you're called to do, the decisions you're supposed to make, the things you should say, that's, that's all included in walking. At the heart of that discussion, Paul uses a really helpful analogy which he, which he uses to contrast the people of God and the people of this world. And the analogy is that of darkness and light. Not necessarily darkness versus light, like some sort of battle, but, but, the, but really the difference between the two. One is darkness, 
One is light. And, and he gets at the heart of this in verse 8, which I just read. At one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. This is a really important thing at the beginning of chapter 5, immediately preceding what we'll be reading this morning. So darkness includes things like sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking. You can summarize it with disobedience. Disobedience towards God's law, disobedience of God's truth as he's revealed himself in the Bible and, and through Jesus. By contrast, light looks like thanksgiving. Paul describes light as the the fruit of light is all that is good and right and true, discerning what pleases the Lord. That's an element of walking in the light, of being light. But not only that, exposing the unfruitful works of darkness. When you walk into a dark room and turn on a lamp, you see everything in the room, and, and that's another way that light is different from darkness. It, it exposes the things that are hidden in darkness. So this is the context of Ephesians five fifteen through 21. Um, and and I, what I want you to see here then is, is a certain tension between two extremes. You have light and you have darkness. These things are living side by side. We're talking about people here walking in one or the other. Uh, light and darkness, it coexists in, in your own house. It coexists in your office. It, it, this, this happens at the same time. Everywhere you go, you, you'll run into people who are either walking in darkness or walking in light. And Paul has given us a really helpful way to know how to distinguish the two, but also a good guideline for how to be the people of God walking in the light. So there's not only tension, but there's also a a sort of sobriety that Paul brings about with this illustration. Um, Light and darkness, these are are big terms. These are weighty terms. Light. Think about, in in the beginning, God, God, when he created everything, he said, let there be light. This is one of the first things to be created. Without light, nothing else is really perceptible. Is that a word? You can't, you can't even see anything else without light. And likewise, darkness, if it is utterly dark, you trip and you stumble and, and you can make a mess of things, let alone your own life. There's a lot of weight here, and, and it's, it's a lot of weight and a certain sober-mindedness in light of eternity. There are eternal consequences to light and darkness. But then it's also weighty in terms of here and now, right now. Uh, the people that you know, the people that you love or don't love, uh, the, these people, they're walking in light or darkness. You, right now, are, are walking, though you're sitting, in light or darkness. So, th- so I want you to see that this is a very important metaphor. It sets up the rest of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, and in particular, it sets up the text that we're about to, to get into. But before I go any further, let me pray for us. And, and then we'll, we'll get to it. All right. Lord, we, uh, we gather together this morning eager to hear from you. We know that your word is, is the only sure place we can go where we can know what you would say to us. So reveal yourself to us by your word. Help us to see the work of Jesus, the person of Jesus more clearly so that we can find hope and so that we can walk wisely in this world. Be with us as we study your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I want you to follow along as I read. Please grab a Bible from the seat in front of you and and read along with me. You can read on the screen. It'll be up there, but sometimes it's just good to have something tangible in front of you in your hands. If you don't know where Ephesians is, you can use the page number or ask your neighbor, right? But let's, let's read together, all right? So Ephesians 5, 15 through 21, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk on wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, 
addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. All right. The main idea of this chapter, or this section, is, is found in verse 15. And, and it says, look carefully then how you walk. In light of everything we've said about light and darkness, the church being God's representative people in this world, in light of all of that, we as the people of God should look carefully then how we walk. This is the main idea of the text. This is the main idea. And, and not only that, but Paul, through the rest of the text, what, what he does is he elaborates on and clarifies what he means by that. You, you may read, look carefully then how you walk, and, and think to yourself, I don't really know. This isn't very concrete. It's not very helpful. Give me an idea of what in the world do you mean. I need something tangible to look at here. Uh, and, and, and Paul does that. And, and he gives us three clarifying statements about what it means to look carefully how you walk. But, but first, I'd like to look at this, this command. Look carefully then how you walk. Uh, it's purposeful. It's intentional. It's, it's diligent. It's exemplary. Paul, Paul wants his people, he wants the Ephesian people to think about everything that they do. Remember, to, to walk is, is to live. All the decisions that they make, the things that they say, the, the thoughts that they have, he's encouraging them to be deliberate in the way they live for their own sake and also for the sake of those who are watching. He, he's discouraging a sort of haphazardness that I think a lot of us might be prone to today or, or that we, we notice and, and see in the world around us. Think about Proverbs 21.5. It says, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. The planning of, of the diligent leads to abundance, but, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. It's a, it's a similar idea. Look before you leap. Think about what you're doing, the, the choices you make. Proverbs 6, 6 through 11 gives a good picture. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. You see this image of, of someone asleep with no control or concern about anything going on around him, just sort of letting things happen while he lays there. Paul's discouraging that sort of mentality with what he says here. He says, look carefully how you walk. Don't be haphazard. Don't be a sluggard asleep. Be, be sort of like an ant who, who doesn't need any sort of pushing or prodding, but instead is always on the look for how, what, what's next, what to do now, what, what can we do strategically thinking out her life. There's no sense leaving things to chance in, in really any area of our life. And, and of course, by chance, I acknowledge that there's not some sort of cosmic force out there where things just sort of happen and God is unaware of what's going on. I'm acknowledging that God has providence over everything. He's sovereign over everything. But within that, there, there's no sense in us as the people of God living in such a way where, where we just sort of let things happen and, and come as they may and, and, and let things fall by the wayside without putting any sort of thought into how we will respond or, or even maybe preemptively uh, work in, in certain situations or, or decisions. So there's no sense leaving things to chance. And for the Christian of, of all people, we have no reason to live in a way that is not deliberate and intentional. We have every reason to be intentional and deliberate. Uh, we know that our lives are not our own. They were bought at a price. 
And, and not only that, but we know that rebirth is a very precious thing, and it should be stewarded well. See, all of us are breathing air right now, I hope. Uh, we're all alive, we're, we're, we're listening and, and functioning, but some of us are, 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 are dead, though we don't know it, dead in sin and, and completely cut off from God. And, and then likewise, uh, some of us, many of you, I hope, are, are, you have been reborn. You have a new life. And, and among the things that this new life means is that you have a new spirit within you, at work within you, giving you a whole host of new options that were once blocked from your ability. Now you can love and serve the Lord with all your heart and soul and mind because because of the gospel, and we'll talk more about that this morning, but, but what I want you to see is the Christian has no excuse to live life in such a way where, where, where things are, are just sort of come as they may, and I'll, I'll just take it as it comes. No, Christians of all people should be very intentional with how we live, not only for ourselves, but also because the souls of other people are very often at stake in the decisions we make, the things we do, the example we set. So, so we should be thoughtful about the way we live, just in general. I hope you see that this has very broad application. You notice Paul didn't say, be thoughtful, be careful then how you live if you're a a businessman or if you have a whole lot of money riding on your decision making. No, what he said is, be careful then how you walk. This applies to anybody who claims the name of Christ in whatever you're doing. Whatever your job is, whatever your day-to-day life looks like, we're called to live carefully. All right, Paul clarifies what he means by this, by looking carefully then how you walk. He clarifies it with three statements, and, and hopefully you'll see them as they come up. And each one, he says, all right, don't do this, but instead do this. And he does that three times which is how we, we see this, this pattern take place. So the first, the first statement like that, he, he says really in verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Don't be unwise, be wise. What do, what do you think of when you think of wisdom? Uh, if, if you're like me, you probably think of wizards and Yoda and uh, maybe the Godfather, Brad. Uh, you, you think of, uh, see, I, I make an effort to get to know your movies and the things that you enjoy. Anyway, so may, maybe you think of uh, maybe something less uh, fictional, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you think of like Robin Williams' character in Goodwill Hunting, this, this sort of sage, bearded, tweed-wearing older man with a lot of experience and dark past. Maybe that's what you think of when you think of wisdom. Um, but wisdom is, is much more practical than that. I read earlier from Proverbs, if you've ever spent any time in that book, you know that Proverbs doesn't sound so much like riddles told by a Jedi knight as it sounds like just very practical advice for how to have a good life. It's very practical, the wisdom of God. Not only is it practical, it's, it's also available. Uh, James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. This is something that God gives to his people. He gives us wisdom. It's very eminently available. And, and most importantly, perhaps, it is very personal. And by that I mean it's found in a person, Jesus. He is the wisdom of God. This is what Romans, uh, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 1.24 says that uh, to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is found in a person, the man, Jesus Christ. Which means that, that everything, even the mundane aspects of your life, the things that you think don't matter at all, all of these things are tethered to the gospel for the Christian because they're tethered to the person and work of Jesus everything. So it's not enough to mine the Bible for practical steps for how to have a better life. Rather, we, we come to Jesus and let the gospel affect our decisions and the things that we think are important and worth pursuing. It affects every area of our life. And in fact, 
if there is any area of your life that isn't subject to the gospel, that may be evidence that you have an anemic understanding, a poor understanding, a, a diseased understanding of, of who Jesus is, of what he's done. And not only that, but of, of human sinfulness. If you're not turning to the gospel and seeing how it applies to and shapes every decision you make and how you spend your time, you may be putting a little bit more credit in your camp than you're due. Because if you're like me, you're a fallen mess. And the decisions you make cannot be trusted even by yourself. Because you're, you're, you're too often shaped and molded by other things that, that aren't Jesus and, and aren't obey, obedient to God. And that's very foolish. So, so we're called to turn to Jesus, to turn to the gospel for every area of our life. And, and what I love is that Paul goes a step further. Not only does he encourage wise living, but he even defines what wisdom looks like. In verse 16, he says, making the best use of the time. Making the best use of the time. It's a really good phrase. I like that phrase. Another way to think about it, perhaps, is, is redeeming the time. I like that phrase, too. Redeeming the time. kind of has this image of, of like being in a, in a marketplace and seeing a great deal and snatching it while you can. Redeeming the time. Setting something free. Taking it up as soon as you can because the time is precious. And, and, and whatever you're going after is worth pursuing and you need to get it right now. Redeeming the time. Uh, My neighbor a few years ago had a yard sale. He lives right across the street from me. He had a yard sale. This was on a Saturday morning. And I'm not a yard sale person. I don't go to yard sales. It's just not how I choose to live my life. Uh, Some of you do, and that's fine, I think. Uh, But my neighbor, he had a yard sale, all right? He was moving. So he was liquidating his home. I mean, he might as well have had one of those blow-up inflatable things, you know. It was, that, it was that big of a deal. And I found this out on Saturday morning that it was that big of a deal because, to my surprise, at 6 a.m., 6 a.m., have you been awake at this time? Have you seen what it looked? Okay, so at 6 a.m., cars are lining my street. They're parking out in front of my house, jibber-jabbering about the great deals that they're going to find today because after this sale, they've got another sale to go to. Oh, my word, what is wrong with you? Why are you spending your Saturday this way? They're outside my house talking about it is what's, what's more. And, and it, is, it is as if Christmas Day has come. I'm hearing them chibber, you know, chatting outside my, my window about all the the great junk that they don't even know exists on the other side of that door that they're about to snatch up because it's a steal. They got fanny packs on. A woman is driving up my street. She slows down, eyes what's going on in the yard. And she's got her kids in the back of the car. And you can tell they're thrilled to be here. And she's just looking. She rolls down the window and sees me standing in my yard because at this point I'm drawn into the fray. And she looks at me and she says, they got anything good over there? <laughs> With that sort of gruff voice, I'm thinking, man, you need to lay off of something. And she's just staring at me as if I'm the keeper of whatever my neighbor is selling, and, and I'm the ultimate appraiser of whatever it is that he's got over there. And I just looked at her. I said, you know what? I have no idea. It looks like a bunch of junk. And she just drove off. She had other stuff to go, to go see. But people flock to this sort of thing because they want to snatch up whatever they can get. Find a great deal. Old stuff and things that don't have any value. But, but to them, there's value here. I'm going to snatch it up. In a twisted sort of way, this is kind of what it means to redeem the time, to, to go after something because you know that the time is short and, and there, there are precious things out there to be, to be done, to be grabbed up. It, it, there's a sense of urgency here. I hope, hope you see that. We're not just talking about your five-year plan. That's a, that's a good way to, to live and to think about what, what's down the future. Where do I see myself? But, but really, we're thinking more along the lines of thinking on your feet. Uh, football's back. I'm excited about that, but I'm always reminded of just the beauty of a running back who has great downfield vision 
right? Some of them have it and some of them don't. Uh, And the ones that do are always so impressive because when everything seems like there is no way, they find a crease and the next thing you know, they're gone. They snatch snatch the opportunity as soon as they can take it and then they're weaving through and they're out of there. It's a beautiful thing to to watch. And I think this is what Paul is, is sort of getting at. You see an opportunity and you take it. You're, you're thinking things through. You're, you're planning. You're working towards something. And, and why this sort of urgency? Because the days are evil. Verse 16 says, the days are evil. This is what drove me to this text. I've been thinking a lot about this lately. Uh, the days are evil. What in the world do I do? right, um, on, a, on a big scale and a small scale. On, on the macro level, there are things, I mean, we're, we're familiar with, hopefully, what's going on in the news, but you have, you have Planned Parenthood, the, the whole uh, social media campaign to defund Planned Parenthood, which I think is a, a, a good thing to defund. Um, and, and, and you see not only that, but just the horror of what is taking place in the walls of, of a building designed to, quote, care for people. Uh, it's, it's tragic. It's terrifying. And, and we've all just sort of been lulled into letting this exist. Um, it, racism and, and so much has happened over the last year or two uh, that have made us all kind of think through, wait, what, what is going on? What, what is the relationship of, of, of people in this, in this country? What is the church's role in terms of race relations. Um, there's just so much going on that, that, that we need to think about as the people of God, uh, especially. Um, gender identity and homosexuality, uh, what it means to be married, all these things, uh, they, they remind me that the, the days are evil. The days are evil. What, what in the world can I do uh, to, to, to change anything? What, how am I supposed to spend my time? How, how can I be productive toward these, these ends? But it, it's also true on a micro scale in, in, my own, in my own life. I see this. I mean, when my son is almost two, uh, He's gotten to this point where he, he knows the word share, and he uses the word share a lot, which you would think sounds really sweet. He, you know, is he sharing with, with other kids? No. What he does is he walks up to a child with something he wants, snatches it, and says, share. <laughs> this is what it means, is that you share with me now. No questions. And when that happens and I see that, uh, not, not to be hyperbolic, but I'm reminded that the days are evil. This, is, this too is what it means. We live in a fallen world where even sharing can become self-centered. Um, the days are evil. When my friend's uh, marriage is struggling, the days are, are evil. When I can't eat when I cannot eat a hamburger without a side of sexual innuendo at a restaurant, right? Because all these crazy ads. The days are evil. It's nothing sacred, right? The days are evil. When I get dominated, dominated by, by things that are urgent or trending uh, to the neglect of things that are actually important and, and have value, right? God's word, prayer, loving other people, cultivating my marriage. Uh, when these things take second uh, chair to, to just, what are we talking about now? Um, the days are evil. It's subtle. It can be very subtle. Frankly, even when things look like they're going great, the days are still evil. When your life is all put together and, and there, there's nothing that you dread on the horizon, the days remain evil. And, and we, we shouldn't be lulled into thinking that everything is okay and, and there's no sense in us thinking through our lives and how we live and how we act around people and what we're going to do to change things in this world uh, for the glory of God. Uh, the, the days are, are evil and that, that should keep us on our toes. 
So how can we combat these things, uh, Planned Parenthood, but, but also my own sinful tendencies? How do we combat the evil days in our home and, and, and down the street and around the world? How do we combat that? We redeem the time. We make the most of it. Uh, technology has saved us so much time. But do you notice what you do now that technology is saving you all this time and gives you so much time to do other things? We, we tend to just entertain ourselves more. We, we save ourselves all this time so that we can watch more Netflix. Um, but, but is there something better we could do with our time? Is there something better we can do with, with all the resources that, that God has given us? What's your daily routine look like? How do you see your current job? Not the job that you dream or that you, you think that'll be the place where I can serve the Lord most faithfully. No, where you are right now, what you're doing right now, how do you view that? Because if you don't see that as an opportunity to redeem the time, you're missing the point. Redeeming the time means redeeming what is here on your plate right now, the time that you have, not the time that you wish you had. What will you do? How will you honor the Lord in your life? How will you walk as a child of the light? Are you intentional with the relationships that God has given you to steward? Or, or you just let them sort of happen as the day progresses. I found myself in, 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 caught in the thick of all of these things, by the way. I, I'm not, not asking you. I'm thinking about this for myself. Now, I, I, I want to steward the relationships in my life well. And I'm afraid that too often I just sort of expect that, that they will bear fruit and grow and, and just sort of be cultivated on their own. But I don't know if you uh, are into agriculture. It doesn't really work that way. Things require planning and effort. The only thing that grows on its own is, is, is wheat. And if you are curious about that, you can come to my house. All right, so... Matthew 25, 23, Jesus in a, in a parable explains uh, as, a, as a servant uh, does with his, the things entrusted to him. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Even the little things, even the small things that we think aren't worth our time or effort or energy, uh, these are the things that the Lord, he, he sees. He knows what we do with even the smallest bits of our day. All right, another clarifying statement that Paul makes. First was that we should uh, uh, be, not be unwise, but be wise. The second is that we should not be foolish, but that we should understand what the will of the Lord is. So we should live not foolishly, but understanding the Lord's will. Uh, we, we, we know how to follow the Lord's will really in two ways. And hopefully this isn't a surprise to any of you, but I, but I do want to highlight this. One is the Bible. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Bible is the only way to know if God has told you to do something. Everything else is conjecture. I want you to hear me on this. The Bible is the only way to know what God is telling you to do definitively. This is where we go. This is where God's will is revealed, and it's written down so that you can know it and you can act on it. I'm afraid for some of us, and for me at times, this, this promise is, isn't enough. Because I want to know the future. I don't want to just know what God would have me do right now. I want to know what's going to happen to me in five years or what this decision that I'm weighing right now should lead to or could lead to. That's what I want. But do you see the selfishness of that mindset that, that suddenly all the things that God has given us in his word can be cast aside in favor of what's really important, which is my belly button and everything that sort of revolves around it? Um, and, and, and not only that, I'll say too that the nature of faith isn't knowing the future. But it's knowing the one who holds the future and trusting him. 
and looking to him for guidance through his word? Do you neglect the clear commands of Scripture in search for signs and, and wonders that will confirm for you the, the unknown path that you should, you should take? These are just some questions to think about. Ultimately, though, we're called to obey God. We know how to obey him because the Bible directs us in how to do that. And within that context, within obedience, then do what seems best to you. I have to be careful how I say that. I probably should have been more careful saying that. But, but the point is, if you, if you are seeking the Lord through his word and you are obeying his word, which is a lot harder to do than it sounds, right, then within that context, we, we're, we're free, I think, to, to do the things that seem best to us that will bring God the most glory, that will use the gifts that he's given us to their fullest potential within the context of obedience to his word and faithfulness to him. But that's, that's one way we know what the will of the Lord is. Another way we know what the will of the Lord is is, is through the gospel. I've, I've already mentioned this earlier, but, but the gospel, again, this is the source of all wisdom, and it's the source of how we know what God's will truly, ultimately is. Verse 17 says, understand what the will of the Lord is. And very often in the New Testament, the Lord isn't just generic for God or deity. Rather, the Lord is a direct reference to Jesus, the Lord, which is unusual because most of the time you hear about the will of God. But here Paul is is changing it up. He's saying the will of the Lord, the will of Christ. What would he have us do? And and not only that, but what has he himself done and and called us to, to imitate? We know that God's will for his people is salvation. This is his will for his people that we would know Jesus, that we would be redeemed from sin and fallenness, and that we would trust him and find salvation in him. This is the whole point of 1 Timothy 2.4. God desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Not only that, but 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 13, I won't read it all, but, but a few highlights. Verse 2, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is Paul speaking. There's nothing more important for me to know or to spend my time thinking about than, than Christ. Verse 7, we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. And this wisdom is, is Christ and him crucified. That God has decreed that we should know through Jesus Verse 12, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the, free, the things freely given us by God. Everything hinges on the gospel. It, it hangs on the person, and the work of Christ. 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises through the knowledge of Jesus. The gospel should influence how we walk, should influence how we spend our time to the degree that it doesn't. You, you may need to examine yourself and question whether or not you believe the gospel at all. Finally, Paul says, do not get drunk, but be filled with the Spirit. He calls us not to live recklessly, but to live in a way that is filled with and characterized by the Holy Spirit. This is an interesting prohibition. Why? I mean, out of nowhere, Paul's throwing out, don't get, don't get drunk. Where's that coming from? I'm not really sure. Um, I don't think it's just a metaphor. I think Paul is very serious. Don't get drunk if this is a habit of your life. And now that football season is back in tow, for some of you it may well be. Uh, drunkenness has no place in the Christian life. Not just for what it is and for the potential legal ramifications that come along with that and the safety of it, for that matter, but because it represents something. It re- represents a, a senselessness and recklessness that's characteristic of darkness. You've heard the expression, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Drunkenness is the embodiment of that. It's very foolish. It's very short-sighted. Instead, the Bible calls us to seize the day, so to speak, for God's glory, not for our entertainment 
or, or, or comfort, but instead to deliberately seize opportunities and take moments that will honor him, that will serve others, and, and, and that will promote the gospel in the world around us. Paul calls us to be filled continually. He says filling, or uh, doesn't it say that? Yes. Um, be filled with the Spirit. And one of the ways that, that this can be uh, seen is as a continual sort of thing. A constant thing, being filled with the Spirit, which is to say conforming to the image of God in Christ. In the same way that, that a container takes on the qualities of whatever fills it, like for example, and this is a bad example, but if you go to a trash can, you know it's full of trash because it smells like it, it looks like it. And a very opposite and positive sense. Uh, The person who is full of the Spirit takes on the qualities of the Spirit and lives in a way that accords with the will of God and what the Spirit says to his people and how the Spirit empowers his people. There are four signs that the Spirit indwells the people of God. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, I won't get into each of the details of those things, but I hope what you see there in, in those four things is, is, is that being filled with the Holy Spirit looks a lot like exalting Christ in everything you do, including small, seemingly, things like singing songs and how we speak to one another the way we relate to one another with humility. These things are all meant to point people towards Jesus. And this is what it means to walk wisely and to redeem the time. Now, you you may be disappointed because when I'm talking about being filled with the Spirit, you may have this mindset or thought that I'm going to be talking about the power of God for you to do great and mighty deeds that will change the face of the earth. And then what I said was, address one another with songs, make melody to the Lord with your heart, Give thanks, all, all, give thanks always and for everything, and submit, submit to one another. What in the world will this accomplish? I need something bigger. I need something better. I need something more powerful. But all of these things, they all end with Jesus. They all point to, to Jesus. They're all about Jesus. And, and so, to the degree that you worship Christ in the mundane and minute details of life, to that degree will you be truly productive in the, the big things. You, you may want to defund Planned Parenthood, and, and that's noble, and you should. probably the first step you should take toward that is worshiping Christ in your daily life. Making every effort to know him better and to make him known. And I think there's a beautiful, encouraging simplicity to what it means then to walk wisely, which is to say that we exalt Christ, pointing to him in our everyday lives as neighbors and fathers and wives and, 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 and friends and enemies, or whatever your context may be, to the degree that you point people towards Jesus, you are truly redeeming the time, making the most of every opportunity, and living wisely. Consider the example of Jesus, uh, just to give you some idea. He slept in a storm when his disciples agonized that they were going to die. He ate and drank with sinners and tax collectors to the point that he was called a drunkard and a glutton. Not to say that he was those things, but that that's how people who didn't like him perceived him and wanted him to be known, right? He insisted on holding babies when the disciples had a bigger agenda, more, more important things on the horizon. He let a person die. He let a person die while insisting to the amazement of his disciples that he learned the mystery woman who touched the hem of his garment. They were dumbfounded. There are bigger, more important things to do. Why are you so focused on this? He subjected himself to crucifixion, and he ultimately gave up his spirit. But it's impossible to find a more fruitful life. It's impossible. He conquered death itself. He dismantled sin and Satan. 
He snatched a people out of darkness for the glory of his Father. And, and not only his Father, but now those same people can call God their Father as well. This is what he has done. The man who slept on a boat in a storm. This is what he's accomplished. The point is, doing big and powerful and mighty things doesn't look the way you might think. And if worshiping Christ in your daily routine life isn't part of your plan for that, you will accomplish nothing of eternal value. So, turn from trusting in your own efforts to improve yourself, to do great and mighty things in your own life or the lives of other people. Turn from trusting in those things to earn God's favor. Instead, put all your hope in the work and walk of another person, the person and work of Christ. No one has looked more carefully how he walked. No one has made a more wise use of the time. Whereas the people of God are children of light, Jesus is the light of God himself. And his perfect obedience and sinlessness is the foundation for all that we do and strive and try to do to redeem the time. Without the cross and without the gospel, we're wasting our time and just throwing our fists at the wind if we think anything will be accomplished. But as much as we depend on and lean on the work of Jesus to redeem our work, to that degree we'll be productive in this world. So we can do more than condemn evil. We can actually propose the gospel instead. It's not enough just to say what we're against. We also want to propose an alternative that people can run to. And there's no greater alternative to racism, to Planned Parenthood, to, to, to living haphazardly with all your relationships than to point people toward the gospel. And the way you live and the things you do, what we offer is far greater and its embrace will do far more to destroy the evil things going on around us and in our own homes. We preach Christ and him crucified, which is weakness and foolishness to the world, but it is the very wisdom and power of God to everyone who believes, even to you right now. So with that, the the band, you you can come on up. I, I just have a few questions to ask. Will you turn from your sin to to know that in him, in Christ, all of your unfruitful works and and the deeds of darkness that maybe you, you walk in now or have once walked in, will you turn from those things and know that in Christ all of that is undone? and is replaced with the infinitely fruitful work of salvation that Jesus has accomplished for his people. He he has done all the work for us. It's the foundation then for everything we do. It's what spurs us on to serve and honor him in our lives. If you have put your trust in Christ, how will you redeem the time? The days are evil. We should be urgent about this. We should be plotting how we will serve the Lord and how we will point people toward the gospel. And the beauty is that Christ assures us, not by our work, but because of his power, that even our weakest efforts to combat the darkness around us, even the weakest efforts that we put forward are not in vain. Because of Jesus, the wisdom of God. And so this is what we proclaim when, when we participate in the Lord's Supper, which is what we're about to do. Um, the Lord's Supper is a beautiful thing. It represents the work of Jesus. The, the bread represents his body crucified for us, and, and the blood represents, uh, rather the wine, the juice, represents his blood to shed to bring about a new covenant with God's people, not based on what we had done, but on his work, his effort. And all he asks is that we come to the table. There's no fee to be paid. There's no 
deed that must be done to earn a seat at his table. But if you are in Christ, you, you approach the throne of grace with confidence, knowing what Jesus has done. So in a little while, we'll receive communion. And the ushers, you guys can go ahead and take your, your spots. Um, there are stations all around the sanctuary. And, and when you're ready, uh, as the band leads us in singing, you, you can go to one of these stations and receive the elements of the Lord's Supper. But now I should tell you, if you're not a believer, if, if you haven't put your hope in the work of Jesus, then approaching his table to receive grace from him doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense. I'd encourage you not, not to do that then. Please stay seated. And, and, and if you have questions or would like to know more about what it means to follow Christ, talk to those around you who, who know him. Talk to the pastors. We'll be here after the service and up front. But now as we enter into this time of receiving the Lord's Supper together, which we will do together when Brad comes up in a minute, Examine yourselves, examine your own hearts to see whether or not you are trusting in the work of Jesus finally and ultimately for all your hope and all your salvation. It's found only in him. So let's pray together. Father, you have, you you are the maker of time. And you have providentially placed us in the certain time and place that where we live for your own good purposes. We live here and now because you deemed it the most glorious thing you could do for your name. Um, but, but we squander our opportunities all around us. just veg out sometimes rather than actively thinking of ways where we can bless your name where we can glorify you in in everyday life it's beautiful that you've called us to sing your praises to sing of the work that Jesus has done so contrary to what we think would be the most productive thing, but this is what you've called us to do because in Christ everything that needs to be accomplished and and the most powerful resource we have for bringing about the redemption of this world it's accomplished at the cross Jesus redeems our time So we thank you for for sending your son. We know then that this means that you have called us to lives that honor you and glorify you and make the best use of not only our life here on earth, but of, of the rebirth that you have given us in Christ. So we thank you for Christ's work on our behalf. We ask that you would teach us to value every moment so that we would bless your name with every minuscule breath that we take. with us now as we receive and participate in your table together. In Jesus' name.